Unless the Lord builds the house, their labor is in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, in vain the watchman keeps his vigil. It is in vain that you rise so early and go to bed so late, vain too to eat the bread of toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Children are inheritance from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his gift. Like arrows in the hand of the warrior are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he contends with his enemies in the gate. Lord, as we come to your word, would you speak very practically to us and inspire our hearts to learn from you. Amen. Great to have you here this morning. Great to be with you. Um, I'm limping again because uh, in classic Larley fashion, I overdid it. And uh, I thought, sprained ankle, whatever, I'll just get what I need done. And well, the ankle kind of fought back last night. So here we go, going slow, which is, which is good. Um, we're going to look this morning at two verses, two verses only. And uh, they'll be familiar to, uh, to you um, because they're from Psalm 127. And it's the first two verses of Psalm 127, which is considered to be a, a, a bit of wisdom literature, but different than Ecclesiastes or Proverbs. Um, and the big takeaway is that it's an invitation to invite God into your life. To invite God into your life, which sounds pretty um, basic. And, and yet, there's, there's some real fascinating turns and twists here. Because the implication is that by heeding the wisdom of the psalm, um, people will discover a renewed, vibrant life. Uh, we don't really know who wrote the psalm. It's attributed to Solomon um, because of the use of the language of the city and the language of uh, the house, Solomon being the one who f uh, built the temple and under his reign, uh, Jerusalem prospered, um, and there's great debate there. I'll leave that maybe for a conversation in the playground. Um, but what does it look like to involve uh, Jesus into our lives today in a vibrant way? Is it just a matter of ticking the boxes? You know, I got to spend an allotted amount of time first thing in the morning, uh, usually around the Word. I mean, that's not a bad thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But is it just ticking that box? You know, is it um, uh, just ritual or is there something more? Well, think of this with me for a second. I have right here a remote control truck that was designed for off-road use. It boasts in strong shockproof suspension. It has high precision bearings. Somehow, God only knows, it a, has a multiplayer function. I mean, when two, people to drive, when two people drive a car, it tends to be disastrous, full of conflict. It has a high-speed motor. It boasts in 25 miles an hour capability, and it has a very strong battery, and it is built to scale. I mean, talk about the potential there. I mean, should we get it out and drive, tear it up? Yeah, that's what I thought. And you know, when you get to this stage, no one can tell you no, so let's do it. All right, so what we find here is we have a very convincing power controller, and look at this bad boy. Here, just, I don't have a table, but we'll just do it like that. We'll do it like this. And there it sits. Yeah, it's not gonna work. 
There we are. I'll turn it on. Okay, there we go. We got some LED lights. How about that? Man, it looks like the truck that drove by me last night. Just absolutely stunning. And then we turn this on. There we are. And hit the throttle. Well, truly, this is the most underwhelming experience. <laughs> I mean, those LED lights, I didn't even know they would work. But the, the, the tin says, the box says, that it has a maximum speed of 33 kilometers an hour, which who knows what the metric system means, 25 miles an hour, high-speed motor, great shocks, and it can do so much, and yet it's lacking power. It's lacking the presence of what would actually cause it to live up to all of its potential. And that's what the psalm's about. That's what the psalm's about. So let's just think about this as, uh, as we look at Psalm 127. If you have your bulletins, just turn uh, with me back to Psalm uh, 127, which we read together. And we have here opens up, unless the Lord builds the house, people labor in vain. Um, unless the Lord, the house, the word house in Old Testament occurs, I don't know, crazy amount of times, over 2,000. It's used for language of literally building a, a family dwelling. It's used in other areas about uh, building a household in general. It's also used um, to talk about a family line or a dynasty. But in this psalm, because of how it's referred to later on, we know that it's literally in building a house. And I know we have some general contractors in the congregation, and um, there's one thing that is true about building a house. Building a house requires strenuous manual labor. Right, Walter? Yeah. So the strenuous manual labor is a given. It's not that if you invite God into your house, you can build houses without manual labor. Well, no, that would be probably below code and, you know, a fire hazard and all that other stuff, right? But it's, it's this idea of building houses requires something, right? And it's going to require strenuous hard work. What we don't want to do is put in strenuous hard work that leads us to vanity. Verse 2, the, uh, the image shifts to that of the home, to that of a city, with a particular focus on the city as a place of security. The implication is very Eastern, which is that any human attempt to protect the city remains vain unless God watches over it. So together we have this image on one side of strenuous manual labor of houses and the vigilance needed to safeguard a city from threats from outside, threats inside, contamination to the water, uh, you know, removing the, pot, the swimming pools that really are pretending to be potholes in the middle of the streets. I don't know if anyone lives in my neighborhood, but we have some of those. Um, you know, both of those things are held together and evoke if we have all of that working together and God's involved, 
then the strenuous manual labor will be, lead to great reward and the city will be safe. But then we have this word that appears three times. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, their labor is in vain. Verse 2, unless the Lord watches over the city, in vain the watchman keeps his vigil. In verse 3, it is vain that you rise early. Um, so the, the writer's claiming by using the word vain that the success of strenuous labor, that the success of ever-vigilant protection needed to guard a city is contingent on whether God is involved in the activity, right? Is there the juice needed for this to work in a way that's meaningful? Because we know that vigilance can turn wrong, and instead of being a city that is prosperous, that is well defended, it becomes a city-state where there's no freedom. Well, we don't want that. And we don't want the kind of strenuous labor that causes accidents and actually breaks the people instead of building the house. If God is not involved, that activity becomes deceptive, delusional, and ultimately meaningless. That's what the psalmist is writing. And the theme of vanity or of deceptive activity continues. So look again with me in verse 2. Unless the Lord watches over the city, in vain the watchmen keep its vigil. It is vanity to you, in verse 3, those who rise early, those who stay up late, and those who toil for food to eat. So the first two phrases in verses 1 and 2 give us the function of a day. Right? Work hard all day. And at the end of the day, the illusion is that because you've worked hard all day, you'll sleep. But how many of us last night or yesterday worked hard all day, tired ourselves out doing whatever, and found we just couldn't sleep last night? I mean, I'm there, right? And why, why is that? That's because it's an illusion that we can secure our own lives with our own effort. And this psalm is inviting us to think about a different way to think otherwise. In verse 1, he confesses that all human activity is useless unless God is actively involved, right? That's when we get the juice forward, backwards, 25 miles an hour, talking about the car here. Um, he confesses that toilsome life is, is, um, is vain or useless because it doesn't secure your life. If you've read Proverbs, you know that hard work is a virtue. Hard work is celebrated. And there's a way to be guided in your hard, hard work so that you prosper. And the way to be guided is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. God, and then we have this crazy claim in my mind that God grants sleep to his beloved. And this is where our gospel reading kind of comes to bear on the psalm. God brings sleep to his beloved. Well, in our gospel reading, we learn that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Very, very quick. What that means is, is that when we rest, he keeps working. 
and that if we rest, we're actually able to do more with, say, you take a Sabbath. I'm trying desperately to take a Sabbath. Um, I'm not trying desperately. Um, I tend to Sabbath from Sunday lunchtime to Monday lunchtime. And I'm finding that in my six days of work, God does more than I could in seven. And that's the economy of the king. But just think about this a little bit further. What does beloved mean? Uh, human effort isn't sufficient to create a meaningful life, but when divine involvement intersects with human effort, the fear of a vain and harried, harassed life is gone, and we have all that we need. Um, beloved means well-loved, but it also means very popular with. So think about this for a moment. God loves to give sleep to his beloved. He loves to give sleep to those he loves. And you might think, well, he does have to love me because his son laid down his life that I might live and, you know, this kind of a, a contract there. But what about the force of this? How does this hit you this morning? He loves to give sleep to those, to his beloved, to those who are very popular with him. You're very popular with Jesus. Very popular. Forget TikTok. Forget all the influencers. But he sees everything. He sees your hard work. He sees the village, vigilance you have. And you are very popular with him. Well, that's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? I, I like to think I'm popular with everyone. I'm not. But to be very popular, to be beloved, it hits us in a different way. How then, let's move to the practicalities, how then do we involve Jesus into our lives and how do we do it in a way, maybe in a new way? Because I think for some of us, it may be that the old ways don't work anymore. They've kind of gone dry. I was going so well and then something happened in my daily readings, the devotional book I used for 30 years doesn't work anymore and da-da-da. I'm just stuck. It feels empty. What do we do? How do we re-engage? Maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the hundredth time. And I love this quote that, um, from Guy Chevro, who says that the journey of following Jesus is a continual commitment to start again. It's a recognition that, you know, sometimes you just got to go back and let's, let's start over. Let's do a, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a golfer, but I think if I was, my favorite word would be mulligan. Just, just have another shot. Let me ask a question. Do you speak to God? And if you do, then what you really believe is revealed in what you say to him when no one else is listening. The first time I went to a prayer meeting, I, I realized uh, I was expected to pray out loud, and this is at seminary, so I didn't. I just kind of, you know, I let, the, I let the very long pause become, you know, exhausting, and they just finished, right, moved on. So the next day, I knew I'd be at the same prayer meeting again, and I need to pray out loud to show that I'm not faking it, which I clearly was, because I didn't really understand how to pray. And so I, I looked up in my prayer book, and I studied and memorized that collect for the day. 
And I was going to go in and I was going to nail everyone to the wall with the most impressive prayer ever. And um, I remember going to that prayer meeting and the prayer I prayed that no one heard and what I revealed to myself of what I believed was expletive, expletive help. All right, that's what I prayed for going in. I didn't think it was a prayer, but I realized it was. And I went to the prayer meeting. It was my turn to pray. And I did my best to recite a prayer from the 1929 prayer book, which is in King James language. And it was utter disaster. I got utterly confused in what I was trying to ask for. And it just didn't work. And it was only then that someone, friends, took me under their wing and I started to meet with them. What do you say to Jesus when no one is listening? How do you do it? Literally, like, how do you do it? How do you pray? This is what I found, I discovered again, um, is that I pray better when I walk. I went on a silent retreat, which actually was terrible, um, because I discovered that sitting in silence trying to pray doesn't work for me. And I went for a five-mile walk. And I prayed, and actually... I found that there was something to it. And so for me, I find I pray well, or more better, as my friends from Louisiana would say, I pray more better when I'm walking. Not with a limp, but you know, you get the idea. What, what, you, what works? I have another friend at All Saints, and he'd want to meet to pray, and I said, okay, where should we meet? He said, meet me at the DMA. I was like, DMA? Yeah, the Dallas Museum of Art. And so we'd go and we'd walk the DMA. He says, the only way I can pray is when I'm, I'm walking through an art gallery. I said, really? How often do you pray? He says, well, four times a week. I said, you come here four times a week? He says, no, silly. I go to all the art galleries. I said, oh, okay. Right. That works. What works for you? What would it look like to think about the fact that you're very popular with God? And he's really interested in exploring ways of praying that you may have never given yourself permission to do. This kind of praying, I'm going to name a practice, is called pray as you can. And the idea is you start where you are. And you talk to him. Talk to him about the little details of your life that you're pretty convinced he doesn't care about. Talk to him about the ways he's let you down or disappointed you. Talk to him about the blessings that have been heaped on you that you could never deserve. Talk to him about the anxiety that you're carrying. Just talk to him. Prayer isn't the memorizing of facts or the highlighting of key phrases. It's really about a relational discovery. It's about a relational discovery. One of the greatest relational discoveries I made when I was dating Rachel is that she didn't laugh at my jokes and she still liked me. It's a relational discovery. And it only happens when we take that step to take everything we know and put it into practice. And that's when all of a sudden the juice starts to flow. So you may be desperate and desperately asking, how can I involve God in my life in a way that is new 
and that is more um, authentic to what my life is like. And we need to start somewhere. And my encouragement to you is to start where you can. I meet with people all the time to pray. Not to pray for them, but so that I can receive prayer from them. I have two groups that I meet with regularly every month. I've got a pastor's lunch I go to with Chris. And it's just because I need it. Because I, I, you know, obviously, the work I do, I kind of, it's pretty essential that God's involved in, in my work. But I've seen people, I've seen pastors for whom the strenuous manual labor of this work kills them. It doesn't kill them, but they forget who they are. And I don't know what you do, I know what some of you do, but who, you know, who are you really? What do you like to do? What do you enjoy to cook? What do you enjoy to eat? These are the kind of details that the Lord, because you're his beloved, because you're very popular with him and he loves you, is really interested in talking to you about. We may not be on a par of praying for the Middle East. I mean, my heart breaks for the people of Libya right now. Imagine that civil war would lead two dams to come under disrepair. And 11,000 people have been killed this week in Libya. I mean, they were vigilant trying to look over the city, but, you know, civil war led to neglect. And all of that vigilance was in vain. So I don't know anything about Libya. I've never been there. I know a few things, but that's kind of what I pray about because I think, you know, I know he, he wants to hear about what's going on in my life, but I also think, you know, there's something about praying for the bigger things. So that's the invitation. We could be like this real promising, shiny, remote control truck that promises to move at 25 miles an hour with the most incredible suspension, uh, multiplayer capability, which is a mystery, really. Um, you know, super strong engine with a great battery, which at the moment seems like a false offering. And then all of it wasted because it just won't move. Or we can find new ways to invite and involve God into our life. Because he loves to give rest to those who are his beloved. And friends, you are his beloved. He loves you, and you are very popular with him. Let's pray. Lord, in this kind of group, there are some of us who've been praying forever, and for some of us for whom prayer is new, and for some of us, prayer, we just don't know. We just don't know about it. We've prayed in the past, and maybe we've stopped. So even now, Lord, would you come by your Spirit, and would you lead us to pick up the conversation again with you, that we might pray as we can. We might start where we are. We might find freedom to discover not just how much you love us, but really discover the fact that in your eyes, we are very popular with you. And we're also mindful of the needs represented in our midst. 
the needs that have been spoken and the needs that are unspoken. And we commit them to you. We also pray for our world where so much is happening. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the God who leads the rebuilding, leads restoration, leads reconciliation. And we pray, Lord, that you would so move in our hearts that we might play our little part in bringing your kingdom to bear here in Dallas and further afield. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.